your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the American Toffee Podcast. With you, as always, your co-host, Ryan Williams. Alongside me, Hamez Boyman here today, post-match after the FA Cup quarterfinal loss to Man City. Hamez, instant reactions. I just felt all week that this match kind of had an air of inevitability about it, given the recent performance against City, as well as Everton's, uh, I guess, sub-subpar form as of late. That said, I think at halftime, I was really encouraged by the level of effort, by the defensive resilience of the side, and really it just came down to that unfortunate deflection and goal by City, at which point we kind of had to open up, and they tore us apart. Look at their bench. Brought on Kevin De Bruyne, changed the game, and they're an unbelievable side, and it's going to be now at least 26 years of no silverware for the Toffees, which is, of course, very unfortunate. You knew it was going to be tough when you looked at the fact that we have eight first team guys out. Um, so there was no depth and even the starting lineup, obviously. I mean, there's just a couple big gaps in there. Guys like James and DeCorey were really brought in to solidify this team so that we could kind of give things more of a go against sides like these. But I had no problem with the setup. I thought it was pragmatic, logical, and it looked like it might actually work at one point. Um, if you really look at and we'll get into the numbers the chances were relatively even, even if we conceded the ball a lot. So, I mean, to me, I wasn't terribly disappointed with how we were playing. I thought it was okay. And some things had to go right for us to, to win this one and pull it off. And they kind of almost did. Um, but at the end, it, uh, it was not to be. Uh, and, and frankly, I, I don't think I disagree too much with Carlo Ancelotti's take on things. Yeah, Carlo had a, a very pragmatic assessment. And post-match, when he was interviewed, he said, we did the best that we can do. We had at least for 80 minutes the game under control. We didn't concede opportunities. I'm satisfied because we competed well against the best team in the world. We wanted to keep them uncomfortable. We didn't concede space. We played the game we wanted to play. I think it was a good experience for us. He went on to say that there were no regrets. The regrets are the games against Burnley, against Fulham, that we didn't use this kind of concentration now we have 10 games in the league and we want to fight for our position in Europe for next season. I think that's a very uh, level-headed approach as is uh, par for the course with Carlo. I think it's the right attitude and the right approach. I mean, some of the responses on here, I, I don't know what people want. I mean, at the beginning of the game, people said, you know, this we're going to get massacred. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be 72 to nothing or whatever. I did yeah, say I that. I mean, <laughs> not 72 <laughs> right, to nothing, yes, I, but that it could be yeah, a it could path. be i mean you look at the lineups you look at the benches we'll get to those in a second now my response was that I, there are some things that we could possibly exploit it certainly was not that um hans tours i think has a very good summary and i saw some of these as well too out there which i was encouraged about some of the reactions on here they're literally the best team in the league you'd think we had been beaten by scunthorpe and yeah i mean that sums it up i mean it's not too, we have too often we have people that are making referendums on the entirety and the scope of the Everton project, even let alone individual players based on singular performances. And I just think that's a little silly. Um, we did have a couple of people get the score predictions. Correct. I, I'm not surprised by that. We had three, I believe. Correct. 
Yeah, so it's a bit of a womp womp correct score prediction, uh, predicting a loss, but give them credit. Nevertheless, we had a newcomer to the Discord, by the way, if you want to join the Discord, uh, it's invite.gg slash ATP. We had Better Layton Never. Fantastic name, by the way. Just wanted to give tip of the cap there. We also had Adam Persilli and A. Mantagna all predict the 2-0 defeat. Um, so let's let's move things along here, Ryan, and talk about Everton's lineup. Much had been made during the week, potentially having the return of James Rodriguez to the side that obviously never materialized, and further uh, hopes dashed, I guess, by learning that neither Jordan Pickford nor Robin Olsen would be fit for this tie, and therefore we had Jao Virginia, after coming on against Burnley last week, make his first, I believe, senior start for the Toffees, or one of them. Um, and with him in goal, we had Seamus Coleman return, Ben Godfrey, Mason Holgate, Yuri Mina, Luca Dean, Alan Gomez, Sigurdsson in midfield, and then a front two of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. I mean, the bench, you just look at the benches. It's crazy. You really only have Tom Davies, Alex Awobi, and Michael Keane that have any sort of senior experience whatsoever. And then a bunch of young kids who... Uh, you really would hope wouldn't have to come on and make it an impact. And tactically, the way we set up, we'll get that in a second. I mean, Awobi's not particularly valuable if you're sitting off the ball. So it's kind of like that would maybe you look at and be like, oh, well, there's your kind of one decent option that can run at people. But, you know, we weren't really necessarily set up to play like that. And that's okay. And then just look at the injuries and the people that weren't available. I mean, Bernard, King, it was cup tied, Decore, Delph, Bameen, Olsen, Pickford, Hamez. I mean... Like I said, that's eight first-team players. I think their market value is over, well over. I think it's 113.4 million pounds. I mean, for us, for a team that's, I mean, you know, we basically had a reboot on this whole project, you know, three years ago. So that's a big number, you know, for us. We just don't have quite that depth. You know, we haven't spent that much money, despite other people's opinions. I'll get to that later, the last three years. So, um, And we have some guys out on loan, which is the right thing for them and things like that. So, you know, that hurts us a lot more than them, because then you look at Man City's lineup and they had some people that they took out of the lineup. You know, Laporte was in, uh, whereas John Stones has been playing very well. Zinchenko was in. Kinsello has been fantastic this year. So that's a bit of a drop off. Fernandinho comes in, you know, the former Premier League best player a couple of years ago for Rodri, which I think, again, that's a that's a drop off. So and then you look at, you know, Gungadin. Uh, Bernardo Silva, Sterling Foden, Jesus. I mean, thank God it wasn't actually Jesus because that would have been about the only way they could upgrade. <laughs> Imagine if that's Holland next year. Oh my, and he, Holland looked tick coming off today. Uh, they tied, Dortmund did. But anyway, then you look at the bench, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's completely insane. Shout out to Zach Steffen, U.S. national team, first teamer, former Pittsburgh Riverhound, I'd like to mention. He did go there on loan and played nine times. Uh, I don't know if Everton's ever played against someone who played for the Riverhound, so I was excited about that. But no, I mean, taking a step back and looking at this team, I mean, you look at the bench and you're like, oh my heavens. I mean, it's, hunt- it's oh, crazy. it is crazy. But crazy. but I'm thinking, okay, look, th- there are a couple things that maybe we could, maybe we could exploit. So I, I had a funny little exchange with um, Jeff Thompson on account number 15 at this point. Uh <laughs> Jeff was saying he was asking for some optimism. And obviously we didn't think there was a great chance of us getting a result, but I thought a couple different things. So I thought, number one, Dominic Calvert-Loon is going to be a physical challenge for Laporte. Uh, And Diaz fouls a lot, you know what I mean? And and he's smart about it. You know, he's a strong guy, but he's not necessarily the swiftest. So I thought, okay, maybe that will set up number two set pieces. 
no Rodri in there makes a big difference. I mean, he's tall. He, he, you know, he's another guy that's great in the air. Mina's in there. Sigurdsson's in there. And I think that's the right choice too. frankly, putting Sigurdsson in there. I mean, we're not going to have the ball a lot. He has passing range, you know, in the last three in the last two are Carlo. He knows how to set up against teams like this. And, and look, city doesn't truly have that big physical, powerful number nine. So people are going to be compact and um, we were compact and wide, you know, we, we played five in the back. We'll get, get to that in a second as well, too, to try and take away some of the triangles. They come at you in the wide spaces. Well, if you can't cross the ball or you don't have a target in to cross the ball, you have to attack in different ways. So I, I think that is something that maybe they lack some pep may disagree with me on that. And well, he knows a little bit compared to me, so I'll, I'll take his word for it, but I still think it's something they don't have and something we have. So I think there were a couple matchups that if things went really well, those are things that were going to have to work for us. Um, it, it didn't, although in the first half, I thought there was some of that, but I was interested in how we were setting up. I and mean, when we named the lineup, did you kind of pick the five in the back or what were your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think just knowing the firepower the city have the five in the back makes sense. You try to prevent them from getting too many guys forward. You prevent too many uh, overloads in wide areas. And you hope that those like Allen sitting in front of the back line can disrupt things. And then maybe Gomez and Siggy can pro provide whatever legs that they have yeah. to contribute to the press. And then Calvert-Lewin and uh, Richarlison obviously leading the line. So it, it ended up being exactly that a five, three, two. And we had Luca Dean playing the wing back. James Coleman on the other side. And then, I like the setup with Mina and then Holgate and Godfrey on either side, because I think that provides a good balance of, of power yes. and pace uh, and combined with height and ability in the air. Um, and it was really working early. It really worked well. Obviously city kind of don't, they can switch out nine guys and have a minimal drop off in quality and still play the exact same style, which is uh, the byproduct of a fully realized long-term project in a lot of ways that we just cannot. Uh, you mentioned those, Eight guys that are missing, I believe, all but uh, Jordan Pickford were brought in by Marcel Brands. So you take, you know, the number of signings uh -huh. we've had, you just take eight guys off that, seven guys off that list. And Moise uh, Keane, who's not even here, uh, which which is a <laughs> right, big, you know, exactly. that's a big outlay for us. And in terms of market value, I mean, he may, he's one of my, our most valuable players. No question. And so this is just the way matches like this go in in football. You kind of just have to be pragmatic. There's a reason. You know, the Sheffield United is not to make the analogy, but lower sides in the Premier League set up like this almost every single game because it's the way that most effective way to win against teams that can play on and, and play more fluidly. Yeah, and I do. think if we're at full capacity, we maybe even play a little differently. You know what I mean? I mean, James totally. can hold the ball. Totally. Sure. You know what I mean? Decore can run with the ball a little bit more. He can match them physically in the middle. They're, you know what I mean? The team looks a little different if it's fully healthy. I mean, that, that is part of the issue here. And, and look, why would you not try and exploit the things you can? Now, playing with the back five, I thought was very valuable. I mean, City loves to try and get around the outside of teams. You know, we were playing a relatively low block, but it wasn't, you know, we were still playing a trap, you know, just in front of the 18. So it still forced them. They can't just hoof the ball over the top. They have to attack with, with, with numbers. And if you've got enough guys spaced out in the wide spots and you have kind of your, your, midfielders spread out too to help them it becomes difficult to win and they love playing those three-man triangles in the interfaces on the outside and you really thought sterling might get on the outside he did not play particularly well today no. uh, but but to your earlier point which is the right one 
it did push Walker and Zinchenko back a little bit. You know, they, they were not quite as active in rushing forward because there were numbers there. I mean, there wasn't so much to exploit. Um, and Fernandinho didn't get on the ball as often as maybe he should have in the first half. Now that changed later. Um, but it seemed like of the four things that I laid out, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin did. He won a lot of head balls. He was kind of feasting on them all night. And Richarlison was getting on the end of second balls. And set pieces, we looked dangerous, never quite broke through. But those things were happening. Diaz was fouling. I think he had three fouls, you know, at one point. Um, so some of those things were happening. And you're thinking, wow, you know, th this is okay. We're in it. Um, and then just look in the shots. I mean, in the 82nd minute, man, it was only 10 to 4 in shots. And look at where their shots came from. Right, exactly. So you look at the distribution, and I believe it was it was 10 to 8 in the 82nd, but we had basically more shots in better positions, or at least a more higher percentage of our shots, 70% inside the 18 for the entire match, whereas City had 40%, 60% from outside the box, and we had the rest of our 30. So neither team was really able to get chances close to goal. Um, but when we took our chances, uh, the, the few that we had, we made sure that they were at least in decent areas, albeit I don't think you could say that we ever had any clear cut nailed on opportunity to score. We were kind of feeding on scraps and it would have taken a little bit of luck for us to score. And in the end, it took city a little bit of luck to score. Of course, as well. And that's the whole point. You know, you reduce chances on both side where luck can have a bigger impact, you know, a little bounce goes the right way. Things work out. I mean, we had of our 10 shot attempts, six are on set pieces. That's okay. I mean, that's our setup, you know, that's our advantage and we need to play to that. Um, uh, to me, some of the numbers that I thought were the most damning, uh, the killer ones to me was, I, look, they clearly made adjustments at halftime. They started attacking more in the middle. They started carrying the ball. They got the ball to Fernandinho more often and started to attack down the pipe. Uh, here's the most stunning stats I thought that I saw that just stood out to me. Dribbling numbers. These are actually kind of insane. Um, at halftime, I think we were even four, four, four for four, you know, four successful dribbles versus four. Um, we were four out of five attempts at halftime. Very efficient. They were four for 13, 80% versus 31%. Uh, Sterling was like two for five. Jesus was zero for five. They were not. We were compact. We were doing a good job not letting them run through us. And Pep knows he loves dribbling. Like that's the type of player. He loves acquiring players that can dribble because that ability to take someone on and break them down makes the biggest difference in the world. Second half dribbles. How many successful dribbles did we have, James? Probably zero. zero. How many did they have? <laughs> 12. 12 to nothing. It was four to four at half. 12 to nothing. We were zero for three. Man City, 12 for 14. Again, and we saw this before. And this is part of the problem when Andre and, and even Alon is better, but he was better this time. But one of the problems Andre Gomes has is he's okay pressing higher and stuff. He can win second balls. And I thought he did a decent job today in the first half getting up on the second balls and getting on the ball. And, and you know, his touch wasn't perfect or whatnot. He was supporting the attack. But, I mean, four for five, you know, times dribbled past. You know, he was guilty of it. Dean was only one for three in tackles, too. Holgate got dribbled past a couple times. I mean, Fernandinho was four for four in dribbles. You know, Walker started carrying the ball more, you know, and Foden was all over the place. And he he's dangerous in general, but he was more effective in the second half. And I, I think those numbers indicated a more conscientious effort to attack down the middle. And I think it was more effective. And and especially when you get tired legs in the midfield, it's hard to, to yeah. drop back and still support the attack and and still stay compact and be disciplined. And I think eventually that's kind of kind of what did us, you know, and I, I the first half was better yeah. than the second half. But look, you know. Look at the guys that they could bring off the bench. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you talk about 
Andre Gomez in, in these guys have had a full week of rest, but regardless, not the most nimble or agile, but I did think they did a really good job in just pure work rate for the first half. I thought Andre maybe overcommitted a little bit in some of his press. Yes, he does. But I, I, that's that's kind of him. Yeah. Yeah. That that's his game, but he that's, can win one every now and then like that. And it makes it. And, and he, he did. did. And he won the ball back and he was at least looking to get the ball forward, looking to facilitate play. Um, and I thought Alon and Andre Gomez both, I mean, Alon picks up the early yellow card. I think that does make a big garbage. Difference. It was garbage a soft to me. Yellow. I mean, yeah, he didn't fall yellow. through with it. You know, the other thing people have this idea about Alon that he's some like red card merchant. He's not, he actually is rarely gets yellow cards. He's very disciplined and smart. So I had no real concern that he, he would pick up a second yellow, but there were times in the second half where he could not be as aggressive as he wanted to be right because he had that yellow. And then you look, I mean, it took Fernandinho until the 57th to get a yellow. How, what a joke that was. No, I mean, he literally elbowed Richarlison in the face. I mean, that was, I, I mean, that's how do you, I mean, that's, but that was inadvertent sure. to me. Like, obviously it's, it's not great, but um, I, I did think there was a, a disparity in refereeing that probably it was frustrating to watch live, but in the end made little impact on the end result. But I did think that early Allen yellow card put a damper on some of our ability to be as aggressive as we wanted to be um, given the thin bench. Like you could have brought on Tom Davies, I guess, worst case scenario, but um, yeah, as the game wore on, I, I did think just when you only have 25% possession and you have a team that moves the ball, like city do these guys, guys' legs are just going to get worn out and it became clear and clearer. Now to their credit, they still stayed compact and stayed um, disciplined in defense. And again, really didn't concede any major chances, but it did in the second half become clear that our chances started to dwindle. It was a lot more rather than get the ball back and at least try to link up some passes and, and play through their lines. It was hoof it long and just hope for the best. And that can only work for so long before it eventually comes back. I, I think from a defensive standpoint, this is kind of backwards, but Richarlison and Dom in particular, they wore down. And that's hard. You know, we were asking them to do a lot of running, a lot of countering and a lot of defending at times, too. And forwards are just they run a lot. You know, they make a lot of long runs and Dom in particular seemed a little bit gassed. I mean, that being said, I mean, it's hard to argue that we didn't have some chances. I mean, Richarlison had five shots. I mean, he got his last one yeah. in the 58th. I agree. The refereeing this first 45 minutes in particular. Callum UTFT at Callum EFC two. his quote was a terrible 45 from the ref gave them fouls and us nothing. And that Richarlison one was bizarre. Uh, I, I agree. I thought that was pretty one-sided whether advertent or not, but look, we still had some chances. And I, I think to the point of fresh legs, you know, Halsey Nim made a comment at Nim Allen three, one, six, at some point we will need fresh legs in midfield. They're putting in a good shift thus far. So that's a hard one because especially when Andre got, got his yellow in the 75th, I thought maybe we should have made a move because you could tell he pulled off a couple times right after that. I mean, I, you have a limited bench. There's only so much you can do. Sometimes it's just tough because you want to stay compact. There's certainly a, a synergy, a, a consistency and ability to play together. That is important to maintain. And we were showing that. I thought I saw some breakdowns there and maybe the, the sub would have been the right thing to do. Yeah, I actually thought the same. I just thought it was, again, the amount of running these guys have to do when you need the energy there to close the gaps, to, to combat that just incessant ball movement by City. 
someone like Tom Davies coming in for Andre Gomez to me makes sense just at face if they value. were if we were like um, playing so perfectly well together at that point that they were getting nothing. I get it, but I, I thought that there there just seemed like there was cracks were starting I thought to show. So. That's what I thought. Yeah. And this isn't to criticize Carlo again, because I think you are with the result, basically, you know, you're looking at, especially the way we were playing in the second half and many people were frustrated with this, but perhaps again, that, that pragmatism coming back, like you're playing perhaps for extra time or for that one shining moment that you get that one uh, chance that you can. I love convert. the NCAA tournament so refer- really- reference right there. <laughs> hey, it's on right now. We're going to finish this pod. So I can, uh, yeah. Um, you're waiting for that one moment. And, and I think if you're looking at the horizon and potentially in the 75th, 80th, looking at, okay, well, maybe we have another half hour to play. You want to keep those subs in your back pocket to potentially utilize them in the, at that time. Um, so, so I can't fault him for not making the subs, but I do think it made an impact. And you knew they were coming with them too. I mean, spirit of the blues at MJ Harvey, 1878. I think they make at least one change at half, maybe Mares or De Bruyne. Now they didn't, but I mean, that's who they're bringing off, not at halftime, but you knew they were coming eventually. And, and when you can bring on a Riyad Mahrez on the 64th for Bernardo Silva, I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, right. De Bruyne in for Raheem Sterling in the 80th minute. Um, those are pretty decent players. And, and actually, they were very important subs in many ways because Mahrez loves to cut inside and De Bruyne occupies that central area probably better than anyone else on their team. And both those guys are threats from about the 25 in, in the middle. And, and if you really think about it, I mean, that, that's, that's what they were trying to exploit more often in the second half and they were successful doing it. And we just had no particular answer for that. Um, besides yeah. the bench options and balance. And there are a couple of things too, that you really thought might happen. Like we never quite got that long distribution going. Um, I had no problem with Sigurdsson playing in this particular format. I figure we wouldn't have the ball a lot and, He's got a nice passing range. And other than the one through ball, he tried to make for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which Stefan came out for very intelligently. It took a funny hop on him, by the way. He almost whiffed it and knocked it out of bounds. That would have been fortunate. Um, that was really the only dangerous. It may have been the only, I think he only tempted one other long ball at all. Uh, the whole match that never really happened. Like, you know what I mean? It, it was almost only reduced to long hoof balls to Dominic Calvert-Lewin knocking the ball the ball down, you know, and, and so Jack William five at Jack Willis 22, that game plan is fine. I have no problem with it. And I, I agree. I think most people were okay with it, but when they scored, I never for a second thought we'd get back into it, better quality into the forwards. And we may have had a chance that that's the point to me. Like we just didn't, we never had great quality into the forwards other than a couple set pieces and longer balls. He, even at times, and we've had this problem with our fullbacks, and again, they were problematic today. Holgate was one for six on long balls. Dean was better, but he was one for six in crosses. If you're going to hoof the ball up out of urgency or out of pressure, at least try and get it up to Dom's head when he was having success. And we, yeah. I just felt like we didn't quite do that when we should have. We're, we're still too wasteful sometimes, even if we're playing direct. My opinion, I don't know what your thoughts were. No, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. And I think, you know, you look at uh, to go back to our graphic that we have on here earlier. For once, we actually had a disparity in attacking uh, sides on the right. We we attacked almost half that of weird? the time, 48 percent down the right side. And I think a lot of that, you know, Luca Dean didn't really 
get on the ball a whole lot. We were looking for him as we entered that final third, and he was looking to burst forward on the left-hand side. But Seamus Coleman was doing a lot of trying to dribble with the ball and take guys on. And frankly, like against a side like City, he just lacks the legs, doesn't have the pace to do it. Now, I commend the attempt because I think it was uh, important because we didn't have a whole lot of other guys who were going to dribble by people. But it was uh, all for naught, really, because it never really came – nothing really came to be from any of those chances. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I just think you look at this match and you look at the first 80 minutes, I thought Mares coming on would change the game more than it did, but they were still, uh, nothing really came of it. And then you bring on Kevin De Bruyne in the 80th minute and instant impact changes the game. And all of a sudden, uh, just four minutes later after coming on, he helps create the goal and eventually, uh, we're down one nil and to, uh, to Jack's point, when they scored, well, they scored in the 84th minute. So uh, if you defend that long without many real chances to score, the the dramatic shift you have to make to be like, okay, now we have to score in five minutes when we haven't really had any chances yet. Uh, there's no one to bring off the bench. He brings off brings on Alex Iwobi and uh, yeah, when they score that late, it was it would almost have been better if it scored earlier, maybe open have forced us to play more aggressively. Yeah, I, the one finishing his quote is actually important too. He said, Atletico, for example, have great players who do the dirty work. It's a good point in the fact that if you're going to play that way, you need the players to play that way. And, and for them, and yeah. we have a, a couple of them, but some of the guys that would have been really instrumental in playing that way and maybe could have helped us transition more and create more chances weren't there. And that that's really important. You know, if you're going to play that way and sit back on someone, you got to have some guys that are just walls in midfield. And Alon did all right. Um, but, you know, Gilfie, it's not, I mean, he, he's tactically astute. One thing that I love that we were doing today is, you know, they love making a quick pass and running immediately off the pass. A lot of times we were stepping in front of them, literally grabbing them at times, which is should be fouls, but Michael Oliver was not the most astute today. Sigerson was doing it a bunch of times very wisely. I, I understand why Carlo wants him in there at times because he's savvy and smart, you know, and he's experienced. He's a smart guy. But yeah, it'd be a lot nicer to have like a full blown six in there, like a Bameen who's back, baby. Uh, yeah, we'll yes. see what we get out of him. But you know what God. I mean? Like that type of, even a guy Mark like Fabian Delta can hold the ball a little bit and defend a little bit in space instead of Andre Gomes. I mean, those are just, if you're going to play a certain way, the selection choices that you might make. Um, but we had what we had and it was what it was. Now there were some decent player performances though. It wasn't like all was lost. I mean, like I said, we, I mean, the shots were 10 to eight in the 82nd, you know, before they eventually broke through, it was not, I mean, it was one-sided in terms of possession. And yeah, in the second half, they started running at us and, you know, guys were tired, but we had chances as many as they did, really. Yeah. yeah and I think you, if you're starting with good performances, I do think you kind of have to tip your cap to Jal yes. Virginia coming in under difficult circumstances. And I wouldn't say, you know, by any stretch, he had the game of his life, but he came up big in a couple key moments. He had a unbelievable save that he tipped wide, uh, showed great mobility to get in, in frankly just ability to kind of stretch out and make that save um and then he on the city goal he makes a really good initial tip onto the crossbar which again takes an unfortunate deflection uh which leads to the goal but for you know didn't was asked to, to play a much more conservative role hoof it long um but i thought he looked the part at least for a kid you know coming in uh young and inexperienced promising and his That's feet very were least. good too i mean i thought his distribution with both feet were not too bad and i, I kind of i'm hoping yeah. that he gets another shot 
either to go out on loan or really kind of establish himself in some capacity. Uh, obviously his loan with Reading, you know, last year did not go well. Um, and then they changed managers. I mean, he just had, you know, two terrible performances really the first one. And then he had another chance and gaffed that one too. So it was, I think he was our bigger concern, honestly, going into the match. So, I mean, kudos to him for yeah. rising to the occasion. No question about it. Um, and I, I honestly thought a couple of the guys in the back were all right. You know, Ben Godfrey, I, I thought did well. I mean, he was one of the few guys in the back that took care of the ball. I think 80% pass completion rate is good. Two for four long balls, three tackles that tied for the team lead, uh, one interception, five clearances, two blocks, only one foul. And I thought he was absolutely instrumental from stopping some of the attacking from the right side. And uh, I mean, because you had a feeling that if you're city and you're going to try and hold the ball, you're going to hold it on that side where Andre is just naturally, you know, Andre's not the best at playing and defending in space. And, you know, Godfrey is behind him and has to deal with the wake of anything that he might miss. And I thought he did so rather capably. Yeah. His recovery pace is is amazing amazing. And, and, and did an amazing job of just kind of stifling City's attempts to break at us at, on any occasions when we would turn over the ball a little recklessly. Uh, and he, of course, is always good for at least one or two bone-crunching challenges, which is what we love about him. Uh, he had a couple of those today. I also thought Yuri Mina uh, finally returning from injury was also a, a, a positive contributor. He had that, well, he had three tackles, an interception, six clearances and a block. But the one play that stands out to me was when uh, Raheem Sterling was basically one-on-one with him and he goes kind of stride for stride and makes that tackle and just gets all ball and it puts it out for a corner. I thought that was, you know, something that he brings and to the team that not many other uh, center backs, at least of his size can, can do against a guy as agile and quick to accelerate as Raheem Um, and his presence there in the center of the back three was, uh, was instrumental. And on set pieces, you had a feeling he would be dangerous. You know, Zinchenko cleared one. I don't know if it was quite off the line. Um, That was a dangerous play, you know, and they were targeting him on set pieces. Everyone and their mother knows it's going to him and he still has managed to get his head on a couple balls in there. The play at Sterling is phenomenal, really. I mean, the anticipation is pretty good because if they're both flat-footed, I mean, who's going to get there first? Uh, but it does go to show you, I mean, that's why defenders are often tall. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you don't have to be as quick when you're you're, you're defending a fixed position, uh, but he did extremely well on it. And, um, you know, we know he's good with the ball, even if his distribution wasn't as good maybe as it normally does, but he was also trying to play some balls more into distance. Um you know, I thought even though Andre got sliced and diced a bit in the second half, I, I, Andre deserves a little bit of credit um, Four fouls. Yeah, that's typical Andre, <laughs> but he had two tackles. He had a nice clearance in the first half. That was lovely. He had a key pass, uh, a decent cross with his left foot that we've seen a couple times this year, a dribble, a shot. He was dispossessed twice, two bad touches, but he was taking some initiative. You know, he was the guy that was going to get on the end of a second ball and supported the attack a couple times and looked somewhat dangerous. And, and, he made it tough for them to dribble through him a couple times. His first half was very good. His second half was uneven, um, but I thought he was all right today. I thought. I agree. I agree. He showed a, a nice ability that is one of his strengths and resisting pressure, resisting that initial bit of pressure, getting himself into a little bit of space and finding a, a pass that leads to some positive possession. So um I, I thought he had a relatively good performance in a, in a tough spot, right? I mean, we weren't getting forward that much when he did get the ball. He was being asked to do a lot, and I thought he did as well as he probably could. I also thought Allen was in a similar position, doing a lot of defending. Um, still seems a little bit slow coming off of the injury, but improved from the performance at Burnley where I thought he was very 
we both thought he was really poor. Um, he ended up with a key pass, a dribble, got one dispossession, uh, a couple bad touches, but ended up with almost an 85% pass completion rate, two for five on long balls, had a nice cross, three tackles, a clearance, a block, three fouls. So lighting up the stat sheet in a lot of different ways, some good, some bad. But he, there's no questioning what an important player he is as kind of the anchor of our whole midfield. Yeah, he was all right, you know, and, and he was doing that after, you know, yellow in the 23rd. I mean, that's pretty remarkable if right. you think about it. And I would love to see what kind of impact he would have had as everyone else started to tire and he could be a little more aggressive in his tackle. You know, it would have been lovely to have that for later, but that's a tough break. Um, yeah, there are a lot of comments, too. We really appreciate a lot of the listener comments. Uh, we grabbed some other ones out there that were maybe taken out of context, but uh, there were some very strange reactions to this game. Um, it, it's very interesting to see the outside media sometimes have takes on this. Uh, I, I don't get if these people just don't pay attention to Everton or don't understand the circumstance or the situation or the personnel available, but I definitely want to get into some of these because there's some mind-boggling comments in here that I want to address. Yeah, I think the one that's kind of doing the rounds on Everton Twitter right now comes from Samuel Luckhurst, who is the chief Manchester United writer for the Manchester Evening News, uh, at Samuel Luckhurst, who said, uh, clearly trying to fan the flames and did so successfully, said, for a club that hasn't won anything since 1995, Everton have gone out of both cup competitions by hardly trying to win either of their quarterfinals this season. Ryan, uh, you put it in here. Let's hear your take on that comment. I mean, what did you want them to do? I, I, again, the shots were 10 to 8 in the 82nd. I mean, that's the right way to play against them, considering our personnel. And it almost worked. I mean, did he want us to play really wide open and get beat 6 to 1? Oh, we scored. Yay. And we gave up 6. It just doesn't make any sense. That there, I am so tired of hearing people. Klopp tries to do this all the time at Liverpool too, to try and almost like make managers feel bad for packing it in. Sometimes that is the right tactical approach, especially with our personnel or the personnel that was available for us today. I had absolutely no problem with it. And, and frankly, the match was very tight for a long time. You know, you can also control the game somewhat when you don't have the ball. That's not a crazy concept. And I just, unfortunately, a lot of casual viewers watch the ball constantly. You know what I mean? They don't really kind of watch the totality of the match and how things are going. Um, otherwise, sometimes you can very much predict what's going to happen. You see people taking runs and the casual observer may see the ball moving and think it's dangerous. And you're just laughing because you're saying you're playing exactly into the way the team wants to play. you. Man City, for example, them continually trying to get around us to the outside in wide positions, which Pep does a lot, was a mistake early in the match. It was. You know, they should have made more of an effort to attack like that and pull us wide and then cut us cut us down the middle. And they did not. Um, that was a tactical mistake. You know, that was just not them thinking. And and that was adjusted at halftime. But that's that's fine. You know, there there's many different ways to win. But the idea that we weren't trying to win is ludicrous. It's just a different tactical approach. Yeah. Uh, just so. Yeah. He can jump in the lake for that. That's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think it's also like they're they're commenting on these matches without acknowledging a lot of the context like yes everton haven't hasn't won silverware since 1995 also missing eight first team players so like you might want to consider that like almost an entire full 11 of players who could potentially have played today but uh, even missing. worse like why do we i mean why does something that happened in 1996 have any impact on how you're setting up today in 2021 against man city i mean what, what does that even mean like 
I, I'm, I mean, I, I'm, but I do. I take the point. Like you haven't won silverware. You're in a quarterfinal. You want to win. But that's like implying again the implications that we're not trying to win by sitting back. No, it's the best chance for us to win. It's crazy. I mean, what are we exactly. doing? Exactly. I mean, it, it's not. That's not exactly. I mean, <laughs> there's been a lot of teams that do that. I mean, Jose Mourinho's won a couple of Champions Leagues doing that. Exactly. And has scored goals doing that too. So I mean, I and this just in, are is the implication that Carlo Ancelotti doesn't know how to set up a team to win a cup match? <laughs> I mean, he's the best cut yeah. match manager debatably in the entire earth. So it's just, it's just not, you know, he's just, just, I don't know if it's just intentionally being obtuse or what it is, but it, you know, it irritates me. It irritates me. Um, another thing that I have to admit irritates me and I hate to get show, throw some shade at Roger Armstrong because I like our Roger. And I, I actually, if you, if you haven't listened to some of the stuff that he does out there podcast wise, there's really no better facilitator I think out there than Roger Armstrong on a pod. He does a really nice job of bringing guests on and moving the conversation much better than I could do. But there's a little narrative going on right now that is irking the daylights out of me. And I want to address it because I think it's unfair and I think it misleads a lot of people. So Roger's first comments are fine. Whilst that was a commendable performance, the depressing inevitability of the result proves that even with Don Carlo, we're a long way from being truly competitive at the top table of English football. So there's nothing wrong with that because at the top table, you have Man City and no one else. Maybe Chelsea, now that we're go- now that they're starting to play better, next year but and maybe liverpool but i mean the disparity this year is pretty pretty massive you know and there's no shame in losing to this team but the last comment five years into a bag full of cash that speaks volume that is not correct i'm tired of hearing that man we have not spent big since brandon's here so why do we continue to try and lump in the previous situation that stuck marcel brands in a difficult position obviously if it was real if it was so okay he wouldn't have had to make a whole scale change from a management standpoint so we bring in a new guy and look at the numbers we have spent basically what villa has spent what wolves has spent what west ham has spent west ham has spent more actually lester lester has spent more than us in gross wolves has spent more in net and in total so what are we talking about here we're not and then the top six are above us. So that puts us like mid-table. So this idea that we're just throwing cash at a problem is simply not true. And it's not like our payroll's being jacked up either, like the way it was from 16 to 18. So I'm sorry, it's misleading and it's not fair. And what did you expect the situation to be at this point? We were behind the eight ball. And when you look at all the players yeah. that were out today, many of which were bought by the current guys in charge, what do you want to say? I mean, we bought, Three guys that were expected to contribute immediately this summer. Now, Ben Godfrey has been great to his credit. He's been fantastic. Two of them didn't play today. The other one's coming off injury. So, I mean, that that's amongst many other people. So I just don't, it's the wrong narrative. It's not right. Attack yeah. the last three years. Like you wouldn't evaluate the current state of affairs for Everton in terms of what happened three, four years ago with totally different people in charge. They're different people in charge. And I know those guys attack the board a lot and they have problems with the way they operate. And that's fine. That's okay. I mean, some of that, some changes at the board, Paul, the S talks about it all the time about having independent members. And I think he's spot on on that take, but the football state of affairs, that's not fair. It would be like saying the Academy is terrible while ignoring the changes that brands made. Now you could say, Oh, David Unzor is still in there, but they're saying the right things. Like I just, I think it's a bad narrative and I think people, some people are listening to it and they shouldn't, it's not right. 
Yeah, I think the the crux of it is just you're saying that since Farhad has come in, there's been one cohesive plan in act that has utterly failed. And in reality, it was a two-year plan that failed and actually sent us backwards due to the you know ambition of the owner coming in and wanting to make an instant impact that backfired horribly. No one, I don't think anyone would dispute that. So you actually, instead of trying to move forward for five years, we took two steps backward and are finally actually seeing the light at the end of the tunnel from those backward steps that we were forced to take. And Marcel Brands, I mean, if you want to look at the Marcel Brands era and say that he has not improved the state of affairs at Everton Football Club, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's an opinion you're entitled to have as a human being, but I don't know what objective measure you could look at to, to say that you're that's insane. the case because I think you're insane. I mean, the market, uh, Ryan no, I'm sorry, you are the market values of the players have jumped way up. We have so many more younger, talented players. Now we actually have sellable assets. Like, do you think Jurgen Klopp's team got to be awesome because they just spent a ton of money? They also sold 350 million, slightly over 300 million pounds of players that he inherited. That's just, that's just handing him money. Brands has maybe spent, a hundred sold a hundred million pounds worth of players and many of which he didn't want to like sell 30 and many players, of which he didn't yeah. even want to sell, but he had to, cause he had no other ability to sell anyone. He didn't want to sell Lookman or Vlasic. Those guys are turning out to be very good players and guys that would be lovely to have young players. And, and on top of that, Klopp inherited players that now have a market value of approximately 350 million pounds. The guys brands inherited have like another market value of like a hundred. So it's so that's the other thing. I understand it's very difficult for Liverpool residents because you're looking at the other side of Stanley Park. I get it, but it's just not fair. They're not the same situations. And again, we haven't spent a lot of money in the last three years. So, it, yeah, I, I'm just saying, like, it's a reboot. It's no, a reboot. Right. So I, I think on one hand, Farhad deserves to get some flack for investing time and effort and money into guys that didn't get it done. But he also deserves credit for dialing it back making the changes that were necessary, but it's going to take a little bit of time. Where did you think we'd be? We did our preview. We said we're shooting for six. And the underlying performance metrics don't look good for the league. I totally agree with that. But hey, we're, we're in position, right? right. We're, we're in a decent yeah. position right now. Carlos comment is right. It's, it's the last 10 matches of the season, man. We're in a decent position where we need to be. Let's see how it goes. Absolutely. Rant so, over. Uh, not <laughs> action Seriously. and cut. Uh, okay. No, but you're, I think you're spot on and we'll probably, I mean, we're going to be talking about this much longer than just this episode, but let's uh, circle back on the actual match and go into the rest of our comments here. We have Everton, Nova Scotia at EFC, Nova Scotia said, uh, I get the quote unquote season is over calls, but that's not because of today. That's because of poor performances in previous matches today. The team did us proud. And to be fair, with a good run of form, our season isn't over just yet. Maybe after the next game. Yeah, but not everything has to yeah, not everything has to be a referendum on the entirety of the whole things Everton. I we keep using that word right. referendum, but I think it's the right way to be it. Um yeah, I mean I yeah. look, we gave it a go. I think we set up the right way to win the match and it didn't happen. Uh Peter Rabbit sixty eight. Yeah. That's what that's what our listeners. Yeah, Peter Rabbit sixty eight. Peter Rabbit sixty eight say the same thing. No shame in that performance. We needed to nick one along the way to put pressure on them, and we didn't. So the result is not a surprise. We need three points next next week. Let's go get it. I mean, isn't that the right attitude? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And and the rest of them, rest of the comments say largely the same. We had Alan Brody at Brody and MD. No one can really be surprised. Great steal and resolve for eighty plus minutes, but City is just far superior. Defense can hold their heads high, and Jow really looked the part. Subs the key. Totally spot on. 
And then that James Gardner, J.R. Gardner, 91. Not surprised by the result, as I think we all expected it. First goal was just really unlucky. And second goal was a result of us being stretched further. I didn't think Virginia did bad, did too bad today either. So that's a plus. I, I agree. I mean, look, there's always positives to take from matches. I think we, we have, hopefully most Blues had, at least in their heads, if not their hearts, relatively low expectations for today. Um, and, and look, the focus is now 100%, as Carlos said, on finishing in the European places. Um, and I think Casey Griffin comes in with a, with a good comment here where he says, uh, if we showed that level of concentration and commitment in every game this season, we'd have at least 15 more points in the league. Allen looks closer to full fitness. Virginia showed why he's so highly rated. We've missed Mina Godfrey and DCL also fantastic. I, mean, I think he's right. I think, you know, again, as echoing what Carlos said, if we had played with the level of concentration and performance against Fulham, against Burnley, against all the other teams that we've slipped against this season, we wouldn't be, we'd be much more secure in our hunt for Europe and not have this kind of up and down fluctuating level. Of I think something you got to consider is we still have guys out. So we're playing a team that is absolutely in fuego right now. But when you go down the list of all their most valuable players, guess how many are hurt? I don't see any of them. <laughs> De Bruyne, yeah. Sterling, Silva, Diaz, Rodri, Foden, Jesus, Ederson, Laporte, Cancelo, Torres. Torres is on the bench. He, does, he barely plays. They bought him for like, you know, 40 million. Um, Mares, Gungren, you know, Walker. I think Nathan Akti is finally healthy too. He's it. Stones, Aguero. Doesn't even play. Talk about an embarrassment. Benjamin Mendy, Zinchenko, Eric Garcia. There you go. He doesn't play. Stefan was in there today. I mean, yeah, I mean, oh, wait, that's not true. Philippi Sandler is actually out right now, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, so I they're mean, in trouble, you know. Fernandinho yeah. is, is the guy they brought in. So you look at this. I mean, their whole entire team is healthy. So, um, yeah, you know, it was a mismatch, and I, I really did appreciate our, our way forward. I just hope that. It kicks them off. I mean, the guys need to take a little break, probably need a little rest, and Carlo needs to get them motivated, and they need to come out firing over the last 10 matches. I don't know how many ten, how many wins it's going to take, but we got to shoot for sixth. Six has got to be the number. You know, I mean, we still have a game at hand on, on Liverpool, who's, at, who's tied with us. Uh, West Ham's ahead of us, but some of those teams play each other too, and we have a chance to play a couple of them as well. It's kind of up to us, you know, and um, you know, missing Decore is a killer. You know, that, that's the one that really yeah, hurts us. Huge. But if James is back for Palace, um, you know, I, I just I think we're a different team with him. And I, I, I don't know. I, I still think we can kick on and we'll see if uh, Carlo can get him motivated and going. I think there's enough talent on this team to squeak into that number, but we'll see. Yeah, and I think uh, Paul McAllister, longtime friend of the show at P, P underscore McAllister one two three, uh, gives us a little bit of a uh, good note to wrap up on. He said, uh, in reaction to the match, "Meh, they're the greatest English side ever." The game plan Ancelotti had worked, but what can you do with a bare bench? And they have a player like KDB to bring on. If we get Europe this season, then it's a success. And there's lots of positive signs for the long term. Spot on, Paul. I think you're absolutely right. And uh, look, we've got a little over two weeks until Crystal Palace, which is on, I believe, the 5th of April on a Monday night. And plenty of time to rest. We've got some players who will obviously be away on international duty, but hopefully get some guys back, get some guys healthy and kick on for the last stretch. This is the final, the final countdown. 
Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you just brought out a Europe reference. That's uh that's impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there okay. you go. Uh, I, the one thing I don't like though, is I don't like people talking about, Oh, we just need to wait to the summer window. Like the seasons it's not over. Come on. We still have a third of the I know, season. I know it's exciting too. We're in a good spot and look, have we been fortunate with results? Yeah, maybe, maybe so. And maybe the luck could catch up to us, but you know, part of that fortune has also been driven by practicality and pragmatism based on people that are available and, and we're starting to get people back. And um, I, I think we're going to give it a shot. You know, some other teams are banged up too. And look, it, it, this has to do with mentality. We've said this all year. This team is a little different mentality. I think they're relatively resilient. I think they have some good characters in this team and we'll see if they can't pull it together. Look, I'm excited for the future too. But, but that being said, that being said, um, we still have to be smarter than everyone else for now. You know, we don't have the cash that some others have, but I'll tell you right now, um, depending on how COVID kind of ends up, if some of these teams don't make the champions league and a couple of them won't they're they've got some payrolls right now that are accustomed to being in that realm. And there are a couple of clubs that might be feeling, feeling the pain. So, um, there could be opportunities if we can just sneak in Europa, man, it would be absolutely amazing. And it would make a big difference. And look, we want to play in Europe and yes, I don't want to play in the Europe Europa two thing. Um, but well, I know, but I mean, it would be European competition. Know, yeah, and and I don't know if this is the greatest English side ever, but, but technically they may end up, if you look at hardware at the end of the year, they could be, it. it's possible. And remember everyone was writing them off at the beginning of the year. Like what's Pep going to do? Is oh, he going to yeah. go back to Barca? I mean, are you kidding? Crazy. And, and it just goes to show, you know, the uh, cream always rises to the top. We've got uh clearly at the start of the season, the side I thought were far and away the best in the Premier League have now cemented themselves clearly as that how much silverware they end up with in the trophy cabinet at the end of the year remains to be seen but a lot to play for last 10 games of the season we have and, our secret uh, weapon though a lot to look we have our to. secret weapon now go on he's back jpg <laughs> J -P -G. i mean I, I don't know I, I think it'd be really difficult to expect too much from him but um but but can he make an impact ryan I think uh, maybe can. Maybe I mean, the Premier League's pretty fast to get up to speed, and he really didn't have that much time to do it to begin with. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, yeah. I mean, he was an awesome player at Mainz. Uh, I, I loved watching him play. I thought he was the perfect player to kind of sit in as a six. He's big, strong, athletic. If he has that explosion still, um, he could be helpful at a minimum. And I, I can't help but think that we would look different if he was sitting letting Elon go out there and kind of search and destroy and, and even playing Hamas down the middle. I mean, it could make a big difference. I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see, um, but boy, it'd be nice to get healthy. Even Fabian Delph. I know everyone can't stand him is a good possession player and would be a useful guy, at least off the bench to play in that middle. You know what I mean? Someone that has some composure off the ball. I mean, against a team like palace, we need to keep the ball in dangerous places and attack them consistently and be dangerous. And, you know, and I think the guys probably need a break too. So that can't hurt. Absolutely. And on that note, folks, that is going to do it for us on this episode of the American Toffee Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, you can find all of our links to socials, to our Discord channel, to all of our latest content on Toffee TV at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. Otherwise, we'll be with you. Uh, before too long, we've got a nice little break here. Uh, Ryan and I will probably be coming out with some content during this international break. So look out for that. And until next time, up the toffees. Up the toffees.